Good morning, good afternoon, whatever it is for you, I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Schaumler. This is Strong Opinion Sports. Thank you so very much for tuning in today. Oh my gosh, it's Friday, uh, December 27th, and um, this is Ask Zach episode four. And I'll be very honest, I have no idea how to begin Ask Zach. I can't, you know, I'm not quite comfortable doing the whole, oh my, like it just doesn't, the goodness, like that doesn't feel right. And so I think for now, I'm going to start it this way. If you don't like, just give me feedback. I'm still learning how to start Ask Zach. They're slightly different than normal episodes of Strong Opinion Sports. Um, You're going to ask, you're you're like sitting there listening and you might be going, how does Ask Zach work? Well, we're reading questions from Patreon supporters. Now, the next question is, how do you submit a question? You go to patreon.com forward slash Zach Schaumler. You pay a dollar a month. You can give more if you want. Please do. It literally pays my rent. It pays my bills. Um, but you, you, know, you guys submit questions, and then once a week, I pick the top couple of questions and answer them in a full episode called Ask Zach. Now, if you donate, I do not guarantee to answer your question. I'm going to be straightforward and honest about that. Um, but what I do guarantee, and the only guarantee I give, is I do guarantee to look at your questions with my eyeballs, and then I pick the top couple, whatever questions I find most interesting, and read them on the show. Um, if you're donating more money, you're not more likely to get your questions read. Donating more money, if you give $10 a month, you're still just as likely to get your question read as if you give a dollar. Um, I treat all questions equally. If you donate more money than the dollar minimum, um, really you're just doing it out of the kindness of your heart because you're trying to help me, a guy, uh, get through life and, and start a small business. Um, every dollar counts. It literally does help me pay my bills and help me pay my rent. Um, and it makes this show possible. It really, I cannot stress it enough. Patreon really financially helps me. Um, and I'm really proud. We've built a cool community here on Patreon. And I want to be very, very clear. Again, I don't play favorites. Um, I pick questions that will create the most interesting episode of the show. Uh, my goal is to be uh, my goal is to make entertaining and fun content, and that's number one. You know, I put art and creativity ahead of finances, and I think that's the right thing to do here. Is if if a guy who gives a dollar gives an amazing question, and the guy who gives ten dollars question is not as interesting. I'm going to go with one that's more interesting. That's the right way to do it, I think. Um, and I wanted to say thank you so much for your support. I really appreciate it. And in case you were not sure, that is how Ask Zach works. Um, I want to do also say, please give more questions. We are, I don't have enough questions. We have 401 supporters on Patreon as of this morning. There's four over 400 of you out there. I know you're watching, listening, doing something to the show. Uh, please <laughs> send in questions. I, I don't have enough. And, uh, I feel kind of bad. I left out one question today um, about Cole McDonald, and it was like it was the idea for Cole McDonald to talk about him, the Hawaii quarterback, was really good. Uh, I just look. I I want to take more time to stew on that and think about him. I was watching film, and I just was like, I don't know how to feel yet, and I want to do more research and really. Get, I just was like, ah, I'm not quite there yet. I got to just stew on it more. So there was a Cole McDonald question in here originally, and I decided to remove it and. Uh, answer it on the next next episode of Ask Zach. I want to start today with this. It's a question from Tristan. Tristan writes in, he says, what does Lincoln Riley have to gain and lose if he goes to the Dallas Cowboys? Thanks, Zach. Much love. Uh, Lincoln Riley is the head football coach at University of Oklahoma. And I believe there's a bit of a misconception here. Going from Oklahoma, a college team, up to the NFL, a pro team, the Dallas Cowboys, that is not necessarily an upgrade. I know you were like, what? How could that possibly be? Um, but there's a real thing where, you know, first of all, you got to acknowledge this. There's a real thing in, in the world of coaching where, yes, some college coaches have this burning desire to know my stuff that works in college. I'm really successful in college. Will my stuff work in the next, at the next level in the NFL. Pete Carroll, the guy who was at USC for years, he won a national championship at USC, did a lot of good stuff there. I think there was a, a long burning question. He was like, man, can my stuff work in the league? Am I good enough to move on to the next level? So some coaches feel that way. And if, if Lincoln Riley has that burning desire inside to know just desperately, hey, can my schematics work at the next level? He should do it. But you know, Lincoln Riley's an incredible coach, and I'm talking schematics, his play design, his the schemes. He's phenomenal. He's really, really good as a football coach, the game of football. But at Oklahoma, Lincoln Riley has a really, really big advantage that I don't think people understand or think about enough. Regularly, when Lincoln Riley plays football games, he has better, more talented players than the other team he's playing against. It's just a fact. It's just true. 
being able to recruit like that in college football, having incredible top recruits in college football is a huge advantage that he would not have in the NFL. You win more. You have better players to work with. In the NFL, every team is, there's way more parity. You're not going to have the best receivers, the best quarterback, the best every, when you go down the list, it's back and forth. There's far more parity in the NFL. He would lose that advantage. I'm not saying he needs it. He's a good coach. I, I think his schematics could probably work in the NFL. But at Oklahoma, he has that significant advantage of better players than the teams he plays against. For the most part, there are times, you know, they'll play a tougher team, whatever. But on average, Lincoln Riley has an advantage every time they play a game. And in college, here's another thing that people really, people say, well, Lincoln Riley has to recruit. A lot of people don't understand. There's another misconception about college coaching versus NFL coaching and what goes on during the offseason. People say that Lincoln Riley at Oklahoma, he spends his whole offseason recruiting and he's always on the road. And you can imagine that would wear thin on your marriage and wear thin on this. Like you're always gone. You're always in living rooms talking to players and talking to families and doing research and trying to get guys to come to your school. And uh, yes, in college you do that, but also in the NFL, it's not like the offseason is just kicking back, doing nothing. <laughs> the offseason in the NFL is also a very rigorous process. There's a whole thing called the NFL draft, and nobody seems to understand this. People are like, whoa, <laughs> because you're not convincing players to come play for you, it's different. Yeah, but you're still evaluating what kind of person is this player. You're talking to parents. You're talking to friends. You're talking to family. You're doing research. You're evaluating a guy's psyche and his talent ability, trying to determine if you want to pick that player or not. Um, it's crazy, man. You spend a lot of time scouting guys and, and really recruiting free agent players in the NFL. Don't discount the NFL draft process. Just because Lincoln Riley leaves college and goes to the NFL doesn't mean he'll suddenly have this wide-open offseason where he has nothing to do for six months. That's not how the offseason works in any level of football, college or the NFL. Um, it's just not true. So people think that college has a way more difficult offseason schedule with recruiting. It's, it's closer than you think. I would say it's still probably more in college because you're traveling more, you're on the road, you can't do as much research from home, but it is still a lot. Uh, and in the NFL, you're not convincing people like a salesman, but you're still doing a ton of research into their personal life and trying to determine whether or not players are a good fit for your organization. Not to mention, if Lincoln Riley went to the Dallas Cowboys, not only would he have to answer to Jerry Jones, the owner, he'd also have to work with Dak Prescott. He'd have to decide, yeah, I guess I'm all in on Dak Prescott, the quarterback of the Dallas Cowboys. And maybe he would love it. Maybe Lincoln Riley looks at Dak Prescott, and I actually think that he would do great with Dak Prescott because he would say, okay, Dak can run. I can help him throwing the ball. We can do this. We can make this happen. Lincoln Riley's really good at designing quarterback runs. I think he would take advantage of that part of Dak Prescott's game. But there is a possibility, maybe I'm miscalculating, maybe Lincoln Riley looks at Dak Prescott and goes, yeah, I'm good. I don't want to work with that guy. I don't know if that's true or not. I'm just purely speculation. But maybe that happens. And you also got to recognize that at Oklahoma, Lincoln Riley just got a five-star recruit, Spencer Rattler, into their program. He's a freshman right now. Maybe... Lincoln Riley really wants to work with that 18-year-old talented quarterback who is incredible. Maybe he's like, yeah, I don't want to go to the Dallas Cowboys to work with Dak Prescott. I already got this incredible quarterback to work with. I'm good. And, you know, I, it's just, I think not only would in Dallas, Lincoln Riley would have a lot less control. And he wouldn't have a higher level of talent. He wouldn't have an advantage talent-wise in, in Dallas that he would with Oklahoma. And then I think quality of life, Oklahoma's not a bad place to live. You're kind of the king of the castle. You have an incredible, gigantic contract. You get a lot. Oklahoma, if you're going to be a college football coach, or really any football coach, University of Oklahoma is a great place to be where you get given a lot of gifts and a lot of stuff that other people simply don't have. And so I think the only reason why Lincoln Riley should leave Oklahoma to go to the NFL and or go to the Dallas Cowboys is if there's this burning question, this desire in his head, is my stuff good enough to work at the next level? If he asked, because you got to answer questions for yourself. The, the worst thing in life is to go through your entire life wondering, what would that have been like? What would that have been like? What if I did this? What if I did that? If he has that burning desire in his heart and in his mind, I got to know what it's like to coach in the NFL, or I got to know if my stuff would work at that level. If that's how he feels, he should go do it. But if he doesn't, otherwise, I think Lincoln Riley's good in Oklahoma. I don't think the Cowboys are really much of an upgrade for him. And I, I don't see any reason why he would leave. If he doesn't care about that burning desire to prove himself at the NFL level, then I don't think he leaves. And I don't think there's any reason 
for Lincoln Riley to leave Oklahoma and go to the Dallas Cowboys. I have another question. It's a really fascinating one. It's from Tyler. Tyler writes in and he says, Hey, Zach, I love your show and really enjoy listening to your work. I want to start off this question by saying that recently a friend of mine suffered a concussion and I was very surprised by how long it takes a concussion victim to have a full recovery. It's around a month or two months. It's around a month or two months before the brain is fully healthy. I mentioned this because I think you did Mason Rudolph a huge disservice by forgetting to mention his recent string of head injuries when comparing him to Duck Hodges. I don't think most people consider all the things players are willing to play through, especially the final stages of the concussion recovery process. I recently went back and looked at Mason Rudolph's statistics before his concussion, and they were really good. Much better than what he gets credit for. With that in mind, when you do your... Schedule film, when you do your scheduled film analysis of Mason Rudolph, will you separate his pre-concussion and post-concussion film to help make a decision if Mason Rudolph is still concussed or if he's truly not very good? Um, Tyler, I really appreciate your concern for Mason Rudolph here. Um, I think there is a conversation we should have about the, the really the catch-22 or the really tough predicament I think Mason Rudolph found himself in as a quarterback of the Pittsburgh Steelers. Before we do that, though, I also want to mention and hold that thought. I want to be very clear. There was no point this year when I watched Mason Rudolph before concussions or after concussions where I was impressed. Before he was not great, after he, he did, he's, it never was good. And so I don't want to just rely on stats. You look at stats and you go, well, Mason Rudolph had completions or this or that or a touchdown or two. And it's like, Mason Rudolph, what I saw was a guy throwing a ton of checkdowns, a ton of throws underneath. I remember particularly he had one deep ball down the left sideline. I think to James Washington that was really good. He had that game, his first start, I believe he had like, he had one good deep ball and a throw, like a pretty good throw to Juju Smith-Schuster that he took all the way to the house. And other than that, it's not great. And so, concussions aside, I just was never particularly impressed with Mason Rudolph. And I want you to remember that he left a lot of room to grow. Concussions or not, his play wasn't great. Now, this is the important part. Uh, really, really, it matters. It's very important. I really, I'm really glad you asked this question about concussions. Uh, first of all, I am not a doctor. I am not an expert on concussions. I'm going to talk about concussions a little bit. But you got to understand that I'm not an expert here. That's, that's not, and I'm, I'm not pretending to be at all. But it's a really tough situation when you get hurt. Um, when you get hurt, you have two options. You could sit out, and then if you don't play, maybe someone will take your spot. And that's painful and scary. Um, and then the other option is you come in and play, but if you play badly because you're hurt, you might lose your spot anyways. You see the catch-22? You see the tough predicament? I feel sad for him. You know, um, I don't know, but if, I know that if you're so injured, I do know this, if you are so injured that you cannot do your job well or do it effectively or can't play well, then you shouldn't play because in the long run, it hurts you more to play than it does to not play. I don't want you to also remember, though, we only see Mason Rudolph in games, but the Pittsburgh Steelers see Mason Rudolph in practice. They know how good he is or not. They decided as a franchise this year to move on from him and bench him and go to Duck Hodges because what they were seeing, not just in games, but clearly in practice, wasn't good enough. Now, again, I want to say I feel a lot of compassion. I feel sad for Mason Rudolph. I'm really lucky at my job. Um, When I'm really tired or I'm depressed or I'm upset, and I feel like I can't record. I just go to bed and record the next day. There's nobody sitting over there in the studio going, all right, I'm up. I'm going to take your job, Zach, because I don't have a competitor. It's I'm the only person here. I'm in a place by myself. And uh, the sad, harsh truth and reality about Mason Rudolph is that um, he did have someone ready to take his spot. And when he didn't play well, he lost that spot. Um, and, and the truth, the other part of this is that you can't, you know, concussions aside, injuries aside, it's heartbreaking. It's sad, but, um, it can also be sad. Well, you can acknowledge that Mason Rudolph's poor play, him playing badly is on him. That's, that's his fault. Um, if he was too hurt to perform well, he shouldn't have played. He should have stayed on the bench if he was too injured to play well. Um, And so I have compassion for him. He had Duck Hodges breathing down his neck, ready to take his spot. And maybe the pressure from Duck Hodges, another good quarterback, an okay quarterback on the Steelers roster, caused him to come back from his injury before he was ready. But if he did that, he made a decision to play before he was ready. 
that's on him. Like that, blame concussions all you want, but he made a choice, and I if he wasn't healthy enough to play, he shouldn't have played. I know that's brutal. That's very difficult to have that conversation and to say that. Um, but it's also it's honest. I mean, it's it's not good. There's really not a clean way to talk about this because it's unfortunate. But Mason Rudolph decided to play, and it, he played badly. And so maybe he should have made the other decision. If he was so hurt that he couldn't play well, probably should have stayed on the bench. Okay, I got another question. It's from, who is it from? It's from W. Austin. I know this guy has a, a different name. Oh, I cannot remember it. I'm stupid. I, I'm sorry. W. Austin writes in. He says, hey, Zach, I know you're a quarterback guy, so I'm interested in what your thoughts are on the number one pick this year. In my opinion, Chase Young is the best defensive prospect to enter the draft since Jadavian Clowney. And I think barring an injury, he could be better than Clowney. I know there's a lot of quarterback talent, which is why I'd like to ask you what you would do with the pick, not as the Bengals, but if you had your own team. I'd argue the Bengals would be a better team with Young over any quarterback in the draft. Um, I'm really glad you you said I don't have to be the Bengals because the Bengals have bad ownership, and I feel like you can't win in that scenario at all. Um, If I had the number one overall pick and I needed a quarterback, I would draft Joe Burrow. In any situation where I did not need a quarterback, I would draft Chase Young. There's two clearly two best players in the NFL draft, in my opinion, this year. If you need a quarterback, you draft Chase Young. If you don't need a quarterback and you can draft anything, whether you have a defensive end or not, I'd draft Chase Young, the defensive end out of Ohio State. Quarterback, when you draft, you've got to pick a quarterback. You have to solve your quarterback problem first. If you don't solve your quarterback problem, it doesn't matter. Look at the Chicago Bears. The Chicago Bears have an incredible defensive end, Khalil Mack. Hey, wow, guess what? They're not going to make the playoffs. They stink because their quarterback is awful. Quarterback, no matter, no matter what, is more valuable than a defensive end. Defensive end is huge. I would draft, I, I, would, I would be a very boring general manager in the NFL draft. I would draft three positions at all times. I would draft quarterbacks. And then once I had a quarterback, I would draft offensive linemen and defensive linemen. Three positions. That's all I would draft in the first round. If people would get mad at me, they'd say, you should draft a tight end. You should draft a receiver. You should draft this or that. And I wouldn't draft a sexy draft pick. I would draft very boring because I understand. I really believe that linemen are incredibly valuable. Look at the 49ers this year. This incredible defensive line. Oh, they're really good. Look at the Seattle Seahawks. Have a bad offensive line. They're going to make the playoffs, but they're going to get killed because their offensive line is struggling. Or the Vikings. Their offensive line is struggling. Oh, it's hard to win. You can, but not long-term and not in the long run. It's hard to win with a bad offensive line. It's really difficult, especially at quarterback. I get a quarterback, I draft an offensive line, and I draft a defensive line, and then I just keep doing it over and over again. You can never have too many good offensive linemen or too many good defensive linemen. That's exactly what I would do. And so I would draft Chase Young in the NFL draft unless I needed a quarterback. That's the two options to me. Those are the two players that should go number one overall. Uh, if the Bengals decide they want to stick with Andy Dalton, which I think would be a huge, massive mistake, um, then, hey, if they want to draft Chase Young, I, I'll support it, I guess. I just think that Joe Burrow is the future. Uh, but sadly, I think no matter who the Bengals pick, they're screwed because they have bad ownership. That's a different issue entirely. Uh, but from the, the player perspective, yeah, you want Chase Young or you want a quarterback, and that's basically it if you have the number one overall pick in the NFL draft. Tony writes in. Tony says, where is it? Oh, man. He says, hey, Zach, just curious as to who your favorite childhood teams were growing up and still are today since you do a good job of being so objective. Maybe you've mentioned it before. I just didn't catch it. Thank you, and I love your content. Uh, Tony, I do not have a favorite team. I, people get so mad. They can't understand it. They can't believe it. Um, you know, and people, people said that I'm a Patriots fan a lot because I, I, went, I went and saw Tom Brady play because I like Tom Brady. Uh, you know how I'm not a uh, this is how I know I'm not a Patriots fan. I was sitting at the Cincinnati Bengals Patriots game. Uh, was it two weeks ago now? And there was a, a a flag called against the Patriots, and all these people all around me are going, "Boo! That's terrible!" And clearly their their judgment was clouded because of their fandom by the Patriots. And I'm sitting there going, "Dad, that's that's not a penalty. That's that's the Patriots' fault." And I, I just don't have this emotional connection to teams that I used to. And there's a whole video I made. Um, explaining this process and why I don't have a favorite team and why I'm, I'm much happier without a favorite team. Having a favorite team seems really painful to me and I wouldn't want to deal with it and it sounds awful um, because you're at the mercy of an owner and I don't want to deal with ownership because I think owners are often dumb and get in the way. Um, and so I could never support a 
franchise or a team if I didn't agree with the direction they were going in. Uh, and even then, I'm like, I, I don't want to put just myself into this stuff. And so what I do is, uh, if I'm you, Tony, please do the research. Go find, um, there's a YouTube video called, go to YouTube and Google, my favorite team, strong opinion sports. Or, you know, dot, it's like, the video is called my favorite team, dot, dot, dot. Look that video up on YouTube. I explain my whole process, why I don't have a favorite team. Um, and I just want to, re- I get this question so often. I want to revisit it and again say, I don't have a favorite team. There's a significant reason why. I'm not going to do the 11-minute topic here, but if you want to go find it, it's like six minutes on YouTube. Go find the video, my favorite team, dot, dot, dot. It's on YouTube. I explain why I don't have a favorite team in much more depth than I just did. Uh, the next question I want to talk about is from Clutch God. I believe his name is actually Quinn. Is that his name? Quinn? Is that, that's his real name, right? Quinn? Yeah, Quinn. Clutch God's real name is Quinn. I don't do Your username... I'm going to call you, I'm, I'm, you know, Quinn, I'm going to call you by your username. Quinn writes in, Clutch God writes in, Clutch God writes in, he says, Hey, Zach, you said you'd be accepting comments now, so here's mine. I'm an avid New York Knicks fan, and I try to watch as many games as I can. All I've heard from many media outlets is this narrative that Fizdale, David Fizdale, was a good coach who was used as a scapegoat. This is not completely true. Fizdale was a bad coach who the Knicks scapegoated. I don't know what that means, but whatever. He said, this roster is definitely better than the 17-win roster from last year, but they were on track to do worse. Watching the games, Fizdale ran little to no offensive systems and below average to average players like Marcus Morris and Julius Randle were playing isolation ball at the top of the key, basically every possession, while everyone else just stood there. I think firing him was a step in the right direction, but knowing this team, they'll just take two steps back. Um, I think here's what he mean. He meant like, Ownership blamed the coach, and therefore everyone else bl- said the co- that that's wrong. I think you're, you might be possibly somewhat right, um, but I do think that the biggest issue in New York was not the coach. Coaches keep getting blamed. They've been through a lot of coaches. Coaches keep coming and going. The bigger problem, and the reason why I think the media is saying it's not David Fisdale's fault, is because there's an issue with ownership and upper management in New York, and they keep blaming coaches. And it's like... It's, I think it's, it's less about the fact that David Fisdale is a good coach and more about the fact that upper management never, ever seems to get any blame or any consequences from the organization. Their jobs never change. It's like the general manager may, might be the problem. And so, uh, yeah, David Fisdale had a brief stint with the Memphis Grizzlies. I thought he did really good for one year and a second year, 19 games into the season, they canned him. And so maybe Fisdale isn't a good coach. You know, he's been fired twice in a row, twice in four years. Um, but it also felt like in both situations that David Fisdale got fired, that upper management on that basketball team had a quick trigger and made a quick decision. And so I, yeah, like, is it Fisdale's fault? Sure, you could say like it's somewhat Fisdale's fault. I actually think it's a really good criticism to say that his offensive systems weren't working and it just was, it wasn't a good fit. Um, but also, we have to acknowledge with New York, there is clearly an upper management issue as well. That's why you said at the end of your question, they're probably just going to take two steps back because it's also clear the problem was bigger than David Fisdale, and yet David Fisdale is the one who took the fall rather than having any consequences or ownership or any, you know, any acknowledgement from the Knicks that, hey, we have more issues than just the coach. Our upper management is also the problem. That's the frustration with the Knicks, and I think that's where it comes from. Okay, um, he also writes in, you know, Quinn has another question. Quinn writes in, he says, hey, Zach, I don't know if it's possible to get film of older quarterbacks, but if it was... Would you be interested in doing film analysis videos on some past NFL quarterbacks? I think something like why did Peyton Manning succeed and Ryan Lee fail would be pretty interesting. Thanks as always. Hope you have a great day. Um, yeah, absolutely. That's on the list. I have, um, you know, his name's Clutch God. His real name's Quinn. Um, I have a whole long list of cool ideas to jump in on from the past. Um, I'm just saving those for a rainy day because I know that someday there's going to be a day where things are slow in football or things are, you know, maybe maybe views are down and I need to make a video that really grabs people and brings them back. And so I can always go to that list eventually and make videos with those ideas. I have you know, RG3, uh, Tim Tebow. There's a lot of stuff I'd love to, Mark Sanchez. Um, there's a quarterback that, you know, Matt Schaub, what the world happened? He had like a great year and then disappeared. I have a lot of, I have like a giant list of like 30 names, a ton of ideas. Um, and it's better to have it and not need it than need it and not have it. And so I'm in no hurry to make those videos uh, someday on a rainy day when I need those views and or I, I need content, something to talk about, I'll make that video or make those videos. Um, but for now, I'm saving those ideas for later. 
Now, immediately when the year ends, the NFL season's about to end in February. Um, and really, the, the regular season is going to end in you know, this weekend. So we can even start jumping into film analysis videos in the next week and week or two weeks. Um, I'm immediately going to jump into more contemporary film analysis videos. What's going on with Matt Ryan? What about Josh Allen? How good is he? Uh, Carson Wentz, the quarterback of the Eagles, really fascinates me. I really want to watch his film. Um, so we'll talk about guys like that more contemporarily. And then if I run out of contemporary quarterbacks to talk about, and I'm like, man, it's slow. We need something interesting. I'll go to the well, and I'll go talk about that list of stuff I have and go do steal from that those ideas. But again, I'd rather have them and not need them than need them and not have them because I already used them. So I'm in no hurry to make those evergreen episodes. I can make those anytime. They're not time sensitive. And so I just want to be clear. That's, that's my plan, and I do have ideas like that, but i just never been in a hurry to make those ideas. Okay, uh, we have an incredible, incredible... Um, this, this, you know, this username makes me so, so happy and excited. With your eyeballs, writes in. His name is With Your Eyeballs. Like, <laughs> I love it. It's a play on the joke. I, if you get it, you get it. If you don't, you don't. Uh, good morning, good afternoon, whatever it is for you, Zach. My question is, who is your favorite athlete from a specific time in their career? For example, for myself, I loved Rajon Rondo when he was with the Celtics, but not with any other team. Johnny Manziel in college was another, for he just was a real-life video game player. A final player is Franco Gutierrez, the outfielder for the Mariners, because for some reason, every time I watched him play, he was either hitting a home run or making a gold glove play. Thank you for viewing my question. Have a great rest of your day. Um, with your eyeballs, I love your username. I love your question. Uh, for me, it's actually, you mentioned the Mariners. Maybe you're from Washington. Um, and, and Johnny Menzel's a good one, by the way. Johnny Menzel is dope. Uh, he was so much fun at Texas A&M to watch. Um, man, I, I, I got to say, for me, my favorite player from a specific time is actually Gardner Minshew's senior year at Washington State University. Um, I was there for the whole thing. I got to work on the sidelines for television networks while Gardner Minshew was playing. I saw him play live a ton. I met him. I literally shook his hand one time. Uh, he's, a, he's a special guy. Gardner Minshew is an incredible quarterback, an incredible person. Um, and I'm really not sure what his future, is, like what the future has in store for Gardner Minshew. Um, Will he be a successful long-term NFL quarterback? I have no idea. Will a team ever like build around him? Will the Jaguars want to support him? I, I don't know. And so because I don't know, and there's an uncertainty that I'll, I'll be able to enjoy Gardner Minshew for much longer, I, I will always be able to cherish that year he had at Washington State where he was a rock star. He was a legend. Um, you know, he came out of nowhere. It was so special that senior year in college, he came out of nowhere. He was a transfer quarterback from Eastern Carolina, from East Carolina, not even Eastern, it's just East Carolina. He came from East Carolina University, and he wasn't even good there. He comes to Washington State. He has this galvanizing personality. He's a total grown-up. He owned the moment. He played phenomenal. He played really, really good quarterback, and uh, he made the most of it in every sense of the way. He played great on the field. He dominated and played outstanding. But he also enjoyed the journey. And for me, watching Gardner Minshew, I learned a lot, and it was incredibly inspiring. And I'm still learning how to do and live the way Gardner Minshew does because it's so cool. You know, I'll never forget the time in his life that senior year because his work ethic was so incredible. It was crazy. He put himself in every position to succeed on the field. His, his work ethic was phenomenal. But he also knew when to stop and you know, smile and enjoy the process and enjoy the fruits of his labor and I've always had a hard time with that. I've always had a hard time easing off the gas a little bit and enjoying the moment. A little, and, and I really, I, I've always found Gardner Minshew's approach to life so inspiring. And the way he handled himself that senior year at Washington State, working his butt off, playing great on the field, but also understanding how to, you know, step back and smell the roses and enjoy that moment. To me, it was like, I clearly can learn a lot from Gardner Minshew. And I was around him a bunch and, um, I'm still learning how to do the things he does, but you know, as far as enjoying the process and enjoying that journey, but he does such a good job. And I really, I will always cherish Gardner Minshew's senior year at Washington State. It's a truly special time in my life. Um, I think a special time as a football fan. I got to see something really cool and really special and I loved it, man. I really, I really enjoyed Gardner Minshew's senior year at Washington State University. Okay. Jackson writes in, Jackson says, what qualifies a good NFL game for you? He said, you know, it's all caps. I had to read it that way. <laughs> I don't know why. In week 16, I watched my beloved Cowboys lose to the Eagles 17-9 in the battle for the NFC East, and yet it was hard to watch. And then I watched the highlights of the Giants-Redskins game, two teams with double-digit losses. There were 3-11, and, and that was a thriller down to the wire in overtime. 
I wish the emotions about these games were swapped, but they weren't. Does a good game have uncertainty, tension? What is it? What makes a good game to you? Um, I came up with seven things that make seven things to me that make a great game. Not just we're not just talking about football here. This is basketball, baseball, all the above. These are the seven things that make a really good game, in my opinion. I, I came up with seven, and then I called my dad. And uh, he sees things a little bit more differently than I do. He's much more of a fan. He's like a he's a Lakers fan, and he's a he's a Trojans fan. He's got fan. He's a fan of things. I'm not a fan of any team. And so my dad encouraged me with that perspective to add two more things that would matter to the audience and that are fan people are fans of. So first, these are the seven things to me that I want. I look for entertainment, and these are the seven things in my opinion that make a great game. And then, uh, and by the way, you can have. Any one of these things makes a great game. If you have more than one of these seven things in one game, it makes an even better game. The more you have of these, I think, the better the game is. But you just need one of these seven things to make a game great. But the more factors, the better. So the number one thing I think that, or one of the number one factors that makes a good game is a fun battle. Whether it's between two people or two teams, but back and forth is fun. And when you have guys, like in basketball, two guys guarding each other, that's really fun to watch this you know, battle between these two players. Or you have two teams trading blows, you know, touchdown, touchdown, field goal, field goal, touchdown. Back and forth is also really fun. You go up by two, we go up by five. You go, you know, whatever, it, just back and forth is really, really good. And so a shootout in the NFL, you score, we score, that's great, but also a personal battle. Any battle like that, a fun battle between two sides, makes sports really, really fun. Number two is a really good finish. A game with a crazy, wild, controversial, or memorable ending to me makes it awesome. I, I love a good finish and a crazy, memorable finish. Um, you know, you might even say you're mad about this, but the game last year to get into the Super Bowl, the Rams and the Saints, was an amazing game. Had it a wild finish, had a really controversial finish. People were mad about it. To me, that's a great game. I, I was so entertained and I had so much fun. And for me, that's why I watch is entertainment. The third thing, and a third maybe factor, this is not an order, by the way. These are just seven things in any order I want. Another thing is tension. You know, we act this, often in baseball you have tension. You'll have, you know, it's a 0-0 it's a zero, zero game, bottom of the seventh inning. There's a runner on second base. You know that a base hit scores the runner, gives one team the lead. And so every pitch matters. You're just on the edge of your seat, like all in getting sucked into the television. Or maybe you're at the ballpark and you're just like, ah, I, it's so enthralling and pulls you in. Every pitch is so intense. Another game like that was the Super Bowl last year with the Rams and the Patriots. It was a boring, for a lot of people, boring defensive battle. I was enthralled because I knew that at any moment, one team could have a gigantic play and break the game wide open and just change everything. And so um, tension is huge in sports. If you can have a tense game, it's a different kind of game, but it's, I think, still really, really enjoyable to me. Number four is consequences, man. When a game has consequences, the outcome matters. Oh, that's awesome. Especially when you have a game where the outcome matters and then it has one of the other factors. That's amazing. In week 17 of the NFL season, we have a bunch of games like this where the winner gets this or the winner gets that or the loser gets eliminated. Games where the outcome matters and there are consequences are awesome. I really, really love that. The fifth thing to me is one of the, the fifth, again, no order. The number five factor to me, though, is the unknown. One of my favorite things in all of sports, I love when I have no idea who is going to win a game. The curiosity gets me. I just love, like, I got to find out. A great example is uh, Clemson and Ohio State are playing uh, tomorrow in the college football playoff. I have no idea who's going to win. And the curiosity is eating away at me. I'm like, I cannot wait to find out which team wins this crazy game. I just am so excited. I genuinely don't know. And to me, that's fun. The unknown, having a matchup that's so good or so interesting, or there's so many factors that I just straight up have no idea who's going to win. The curiosity makes me really excited, and it gets, me, it gets me so pumped, and I love it so much. Another thing I love is a good comeback. Uh, and I'm not just talking about the Patriots-Falcons Super Bowl where you have a 25-point comeback. That's insane. That almost never happens. Even a comeback where it's just two touchdowns is so huge. Uh, it's really, really hard, and having a big comeback requires a gigantic emotional swing to go, oh, we, we, got it. we can come back. We can do this. It's, when you get down in life or in sports or anything, it's easy to get overwhelmed and feel like any, any crushing defeat is insurmountable. And so when I see a big comeback, that just fires me up. I love it so much, and uh, it's one of the things that makes sports so great. Now, number seven 
is uh, getting to see a a player you either love or a player that you hate. I mean, good stories have good characters. I love watching Gardner Minshew. I also love watching Russell Wilson. When they play, I am I'm engaged because I enjoy them. I think they're they're one of some of my favorite players. They're fun to watch. When you get to watch a player or a character you love or maybe you hate, you know, whether it's a hero or a villain, having a good character makes games and makes sports better. Now, those are my seven. I, I'm boring. I watch sports for entertainment. I called my dad to see, you know, I knew my dad would have a different perspective, so I called him. And uh, my dad added two more things to this list that I, I wouldn't have gotten because I'm not a, a gigantic, I'm not a fan the same way other people are. My dad grew up in Southern California. Uh, he likes the Lakers. He loves, the, he loves watching USC football play. And so my dad loves watching teams that he loves. And I think that's an experience a lot of people have is whether you are, when you watch a team that you love, that makes a game inherently more interesting. And then especially when you watch a team that you love, put the beat down on somebody. You know, a Dallas Cowboys fan will watch every second of a game that the Cowboys win 50-0. to zero. When the Cowboys are winning 50-0, to zero, to me, I'm out. I'm like, 50-0, to zero, I'm bored. It's a blowout. It's not interesting. Cowboys fans sit on their couch and go, yeah, this is awesome. I love it. Right? That's how it works because you have an emotional investment. Um, some people also love watching. This is the other, the other factor, number nine is that some people love watching a team they hate get demolished. If you hate the New England Patriots and you watch them get beat by 40 points, you're going to watch the whole thing because you're, you're enjoying it. You're enthralled. So, you know, if you love, or another example is uh, when Clemson destroyed Alabama in the national championship last year, I think a lot of people that are fans of the SEC in the South were watching that game going, oh yeah, it's about dang time. Somebody put it to Alabama. Like, that's how it works. When you're emotional like that, it's, it comes out. And so um, those are other factors, you know, the emotion, watching someone you either you hate, get dominated, or watching someone you love put the beat down on somebody. Those are other factors for people that make watching sports really, really fun. Those are the things that, in my opinion, I'll run through them again, make watching sports great. It's um, having a fun battle between an individual or two teams, having a good finish, having tension is great. Uh, consequences where you don't, you know, the outcome matters or the unknown where you have no idea who's going to win or number six was having a good comeback. And number seven was getting to see a player or characters you love or hate heroes versus villains is awesome. And the final two things were watching a team you love getting, you know, you know, putting the, putting a whooping on somebody and get winning by a lot. Or the ninth thing is watching a team you hate getting destroyed um, maybe somebody hates the Broncos out there and watching them get annihilated in the Super Bowl by the Seahawks was really, really fun. I know I was bored. I fell asleep literally during that Super Bowl because I didn't care at all. It was a blowout. But somebody watched that game and somebody had a great time. Those are the things, in my opinion, that make a really great game. Okay, uh, this one's from Chris. Chris writes in. He says, what is your favorite? Uh, I'm going to restart this. Chris writes in. He says, Chris says, what is one of your most loved or favorite holiday memories? Um, Chris, I, I have two really important ones that are really meaningful to me. Um, my family grew up really, really, really poor, and um, I always loved video games. Video games are one of my favorite things, and when you're a kid and your family has no money, video games are not really accessible. And we had kids in our neighborhood that had video games, and I would go play at their house. And uh, one of our neighbors, he was older, he was in college, he had... A Nintendo 64, and he was, I was like a kid, and he was very kind, he'd hang out with me, we, we, we had a good time, and we'd play paintball and stuff, and uh, I played his Nintendo 64 all the time, and so he actually got to the point where he just gave it to me, he gave me his Nintendo 64, because he's like, this kid, this little kid plays it way more than I do, I'm just gonna give it to him, and so I got a Nintendo 64 and like two games, I can't remember, it was like, oh, what was it, it was, uh, it was like, it was Banjo-Kazooie, no, it was Banjo-Tooie, and it wasn't anything, it was something, some other game that was like, it sucked. It was just not interesting. And so I really wanted Madden. As a kid, I was like, I want to play Madden. It looks so much fun. I see my friends play it. I've never played Madden. And so I did some research and I made a Christmas list. And I knew that you could have like Madden, I think it was like Madden 96 on the Nintendo 64. And mind you, this is, you know, this is happening in 2006. This is Christmas of 2006. The Xbox 360 is out. The PlayStation 3 was just released. I mean, these are, I'm asking for Madden 96. This is 10 years ago, trying to get this game. I think it was, maybe it was 97. I can't remember, but I, I wanted Madden on the Nintendo 64. I think I had like, my list was like Wave Runner, Madden, and I think Mario, something like that. 
Um, but I, I was hoping to get those games for Christmas. I wanted to play Madden on my new game console. And Christmas Day came around. I opened my very first present. I'm really excited. And I opened Madden 07 on the PlayStation 2. And I just lost it. I started crying. Um, and I said, I can't play this on my Nintendo 64. <laughs> like, I can't play Madden on a, a disc version of Madden on the PS2. I can't play that on my 64. And, you know, I, I kept opening more presents. And I got Speed Race for the PlayStation 2. And I got Jack and Daxter. And I am sobbing. Just going, my N64 is not going to play these games. And I'm crying. And, you know, my dad was confused. He kept saying, my dad played it really well. My dad was like, uh, I, I thought... I thought, uh, uh, and finally, the last present I opened was a PlayStation 2, and it all made sense. I was like, oh, my dad's not an idiot. He got me Madden to play on the PlayStation 2, and actually, it turns out a family friend of ours uh, took pity on us, basically, and um, the PlayStation 3 had just come out, so the PS2 was dirt cheap, and he actually bought our family a PS2 and bought us a couple games. They got, like, TT Suzuki Superbikes and um, Jack and Daxter and Madden 07, and it was so cool because, um, you know, he got a great deal because of that PS3 coming out, so I, I got a PlayStation 2 in 2006, and it just, it was the coolest, oh my gosh, I loved it so much, um, and uh, my dad played it so, so well, my, my dad pretended like he had no idea, my dad was like, I thought you could play this game on the Nintendo 64, like he's holding a Madden PS2 disc, trying to like plug it into the N64, like n- pretending he doesn't understand and, and it was believable because my dad's an idiot about technology. And so that was probably my favorite Christmas memory growing up was getting this thing that I've always wanted. I, I got to play Madden. I played so much Madden as a kid. I had like franchises that went for like 60 years and I played Jack and Daxter over and over again. Um, that was my childhood game console. And it made me so happy. Um, and that, that's just a memorable Christmas to me. And actually, the second thing I want to talk about, though, about memorable holidays is that this most recent Christmas has been really memorable for me, too. Um, you know, I've been flirting with the idea of moving to the Midwest, thinking about maybe I'm going to move to Cincinnati or far away. Um, and I'm, j- I'm just not as certain that that's what I want to do. I really like being near my family. Um, seems like a lot, of, a lot of friends of mine have moved back here to be with their family. And I, I, I get that, man. I, I really, I don't know that I want to leave my family. You know, it means a lot to me. I had to spend Christmas with them. I had four different Christmases with different parts of my family, and it was so great. Um, and being here where I can so easily hang out with everybody in my family and uh, grab my laptop and pop over to my family's house and work on the show there, that's so cool to me. And so um, I think the holiday season of 2019, this holiday season has been really brutal, really emotional, um, and, and in some ways also really good for me. You know, the, the pain I've gone through in the, recently has been very necessary for me. I've grown a lot as a person. I've learned many lessons from and the mistakes I've made really that got me to the painful situation I was in. Um, and so I've been learning lessons I needed to learn. I think that for the next 20 years of my life, I'm always going to look back on, you know, Christmas 2019, holiday season 2019 as a, a moment that my life got better and that was hard and that was painful, but I, I'm, I'm learning lessons and going to reflect on this time in my life for a long time. I really believe that um, it's been a, a painful, long journey. Um, and, uh, it's been helpful though. And this holiday season, man, being with my family is so meaningful to me. And I, I just, uh, I've really had a great, a great, yeah, it sounds like I had a miserable Christmas. It's not true. Though. I had a great Christmas and that's why I'm like, I don't, I'm not ready to leave. I love my family. I like being around them. Devin writes in, Devin says, Hey Zach, it's Devin with an A again. I noticed you've been playing God of War here recently. And as a fellow video game lover, I'm curious how you feel about the game. What's your favorite part or feature for me? It's how the camera is one full shot throughout the course of the game, and there are no breaks. It, makes, it really makes it feel like a complete story and very film-like. Also, would you recommend the game to others? Absolutely, I would recommend the game to others. God of War. I love this game. I haven't played it in about a week and a half. Um, you know, I, when I, my girlfriend and I broke up, and I was, I was a wreck. <laughs> I was miserable, and I played, I played God of War for a little bit, and it was great. I got to this point where... I got to the top of a mountain and it felt like the game was ending and the game actually kept going. And I was like, okay, I got a life to live and work to do. So I actually haven't played the game in like a week and a half. I plan to go back at some point. I found a good natural stopping point to put it on hold for a little while. Um, God of War is this amazing, incredible game. And not only is the gameplay really fun, I mean, the gameplay, you have this hammer, or I guess it's a, is it, what do you call it? An axe? You throw, you throw your axe and you can call it back to you and it slices things on the way back and it's, it just feels like, 
Oh, it's amazing. I really wish there was a lightsaber like that in a game where you could throw a lightsaber and call it back to you the same way. I, I, I abuse that. I just use like a, a ranged attack. I sound like a nerd now. Uh, I, just, I just attack from far away all the time with my axe and like play the like really slow kind of evas- evasion game and throw my axe. Um, look, the story though in God of War is why this game is so good to me. Um, you know, my girlfriend and I, I recently broke up and I've been re- just grieving. It's, it's hard like losing your best friend and it's painful. And so ironically, God of War is a game about grief. <laughs> God of War is a game where Kratos, the main character, is going through a loss. Uh, you know, I really hated the old God of War games. That's not true. God of War 1 on the PlayStation 2 was fun. Enjoyed it. I, I had a good time with it. I played it years after it came out, but it was good. And as the games went on, you know, in high school, I bought all the games and I was playing God of War and I was like, I'm just tired of this character. Kratos, the main character in God of War. There's like an earlier trilogy. And all those games, he's like, Kratos is angry. He's going to kill everything. And I eventually was like, I don't care. <laughs> like, dude, you've been mad for like five games. Can we just, at some point, you got to stop being angry. And it wore thin to me. And I just didn't care about the character anymore. His motivation just wore hollow. It's like, oh, Kratos is always mad. Okay. And this time it's, it's Kratos again. It's still Kratos. And they acknowledge the past. What this game did is so cool is they took the character Kratos. They said, hey, all that old stuff exists. We acknowledge it. It's still real. They didn't change canon at all. But now it's an older Kratos. He's more mature. Well, he's, he's not mature, but he's maturing. He's learning how to deal with his feelings. Kratos is a dad now. He has a son. He has a thing to take care of. He's also the grieving the loss of his wife. It's like, man, Kratos finally got past his anger thing. And he's, he's dealing with his emotions. And it's like, this game, I... I, I Man, I, I really connected with it. I was so happy that Kratos, Kratos finally has some depth of character. The game is fun. It's long. It's gigantic. I recommend anybody. The two, my two favorite video games of all time right now. If I, not true. Uh, probably, well, Jack and Daxter is my favorite game of all time. But if you have a PlayStation 4, there are two games you have to play. They change your life. They're phenomenal. You got to play Horizon Zero Dawn. And you must play God of War. They're phenomenal. Um, this is a sports podcast we got here. That's what's fun about Ask Zach is it's a chance for me to just talk and not be so up in the world. I, I have a great episode I'm recording later tonight about sports. I have the hockey preview. I have a lot of stuff coming out. And this one's just fun to talk about games. Like, oh, it's cool, man. I really enjoy it. Um, Alone writes in. He says, if you were Phil in Groundhog Day, what would you do? For anybody unfamiliar, Groundhog Day is a movie. It came out in the 90s. And Phil, the main character, was caught in a time loop where he keeps reliving the same day over and over and over again. And he can remember it every time. Like, he can remember yesterday, but he wakes up. He'll go to sleep on, for example, if he went to sleep on Tuesday night, he'd wake up Tuesday morning. It just The day just keeps repeating over and over again. And I couldn't do it. I could not, could not live this way. If the day kept repeating over and over again and all the work I was doing, there was no progression, I think... I'd be so miserable. Just, just imagine to yourself living in the world of Groundhog Day where is it Groundhog or Groundhog's Day? I don't know. But I think it's Groundhog Day because there's only one Groundhog. Um, imagine living a life with no progression where all the work you did didn't matter. <laughs> like it, it, goals would become me- like goals or pursuing a dream would become meaningless. And my whole life has become about chasing dreams and chasing your goals. And so you couldn't build anything in the world of Groundhog Day, it would be miserable to me. You, you work all day and you never get to see the fruits of your labor. Even if like, I, I love doing strong opinions. Like this is fun to me. Recording this is fun. But what's fun about making a video is when you're done with a video, you have this video forever that you can watch and come back to. And it's there. Imagine making YouTube videos and then the next day they just disappear. They erase and they're gone. And all the work you did is just disappeared forever. It sounds so unfulfilling to me. I, I can't, I just could not imagine you couldn't build new relationships with people. You get to know someone, the day would end. They'd forget about you. You'd restart. You couldn't do anything. You could not do anything. Life would be meaningless to me if I didn't have goals or progression or something to chase or something to get after. Um, I, I could not live in the world of Groundhog Day. I'd be miserable and uh, it'd, be, it'd be just a horrible, I, I wouldn't do it and I couldn't do it. It'd be a horrible life trying to live the life of someone stuck in a time loop like Groundhog Day. Okay, um, this is the last question of the day. It's from Luke. Uh, Luke wrote in with a question, and um, I, I wanted to read it. Well, first of all, Luke wanted me to read it on the show. Luke wrote in with a question. 
Luke wrote in with a very serious question, and uh, he wanted me to read it on the show. And he thinks his situation can help a lot of people out there. I agree. I think Luke's uh, scenario is good. So I'm going to read it on the show. This is what Luke said. Luke said, hey, Zach, I wanted to ask a question for Ask Zach. It's a serious question and not about sports, but hopefully that's fine with you. And it would mean the world to me if you can answer this either on the show or just in a direct message response. He says this, I'm in a relationship with a girl that I love both with all my heart. I'm in, I'm in a relationship with a girl that I love with all my heart. I can recognize that we are both very young and things can change, but at this point in time, I want to marry her. Now, this is a long-distance relationship, meaning we don't live close enough to see each other or be together very often. So it's especially hard when my girlfriend tells me she's struggling. She has really toxic parents and that family in general. She has really toxic parents and family in general, and it makes me sad that she gets treated poorly. On your Instagram story, you mentioned that you've had to walk away from painful situations, so I was hoping you would give some meaningful insight to help with my girlfriend's situation without going into details. Long question, I know, and so if you use it on Ask Zach, you can paraphrase it and shorten it if you want, but this situation means a lot to me. If you don't answer it on the show, I would really appreciate a direct message because I greatly appreciate and respect your insight and advice. Thanks, as always. Uh, Luke, I, I really liked your idea. Luke wanted me to read it on the show. I said, hey, are you okay if I read this? And he said, yeah, please do. Um, and so, um, I think, number one, man, like, this is so painful, this whole scenario. Uh, when you're with someone who, a toxic family, like, that's, it's rough. And so I think Luke, Luke's in a, a college kid, and one of the things you got to unpack here is that you can't solve other people's problems. It's, it's there. It, that other people's problems are their problems to deal with, not yours. And it's so hard, it's, especially when it's someone you love, whether it's your brother, your sister, your girlfriend. Um, you know, other people need to do the work of making their lives better. And uh, I think that, man, it's, I think when, when families are toxic, it's so hard to step away. I know someone who, um, a, f- a friend of mine, his, his mom is awful to him. His mom is like terrible. And I think his life would be better if he just said, hey, mom, I'm done. But that's also painful. It's, it's your family. And so I think that the necessary thing here is, Luke, you can't, you can't fix your girlfriend. I mean, that, that's her job to do the work to make her relationship better. Do you want a project or do you want a girlfriend? Because they're not the same thing. They're very different. And uh, again, like a sad thing, me and my dad were talking about this the other day, you know, is that um, sometimes you hope people do the work and, and you know, some people, sometimes people don't do the work. Sometimes people, there's a, there's a howling dog story I'm going to tell. Um, my dad told it to me. I'm going to, I'm going to retell it very horribly where a guy and his brother live far away from each other. And the brother goes to visit his, his brother. So two brothers are sitting on the porch and, uh, about every 30 minutes, the dog goes, Oh, howls and stands up and walks around in a circle and sits back down. And, uh, the dog has, is on a leash, like a 30 foot leash. The dog can go anywhere it wants in the yard. And after, you know, they've been sitting there for a couple hours talking and the, the brother looks to his other brother and finally goes, okay, what's up with your dog? Your dog keeps getting up and going, oh, woo, woo, like howling all sad. Like, what's going on with the dog? And um, the brother goes, well, it's the nail. There's, the dog is sitting on a nail. And he goes, well, why doesn't the dog move? And he goes, the, the brother says, well, you know, the nail doesn't hurt him that bad. It's not bad enough for him to get up and move. So there's a dog sleeping on a nail, and the problem isn't bad enough to get it to solve the problem and walk away. It's, it's just sleeping on it. It hurts a little bit. It's very painful. It cries out in, 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 in pain, but it doesn't hurt so bad that it's willing to make a change. And that's the reality is some people just don't ever fix their problems. The, the pain in their lives isn't meaningful enough and doesn't hurt them enough for them to make a change. Even if you watching is like, oh my gosh, this is so painful. I can't imagine this. Now, toxic parents are brutal. Um, I have a lot to say about toxic parents. Uh, I knew a girl at one point, we went on three dates, three dates. And after the third date, I realized I had to walk away and I decided to walk away. She was great. We had a great time. Her and I had a great connection, but her mom was overbearing. Her mom was really controlling. Her mom was really judgmental. And I realized, man, I can't date someone with a mom like that. Cause I, I can't imagine dating someone whose mom, I can't be myself around. You meet the mom and you're like pretending you're something else. Or you're hiding who you are or I just refused to date someone who I couldn't be myself around their mom. And it wasn't the experience I wanted. Now, I also got to say toxic families can change. Um, my family growing up was awful. My family was a mess. My parents got divorced. Best thing that ever happened to me. My life got way better. 
Um, and I've done a lot of work to repair the relationship I have with my mother. My mom and I, uh, I hated my mom for years. We, we had a really bad relationship and it's getting better. It's not great, but it's getting better. It's getting there. I go see her. We have dinner together. Um, and it, this, it's crazy hard. And, uh, it's, it's really helpful to do the work if you want to to fix your – it's important. Like if you want to solve toxic family, it's possible. But my mom had to do work and I had to do work. We both wanted to solve our relationship and so we did the work. If you don't have both parties willing, if your girlfriend wants to make her family life better but the family doesn't, can't help them. And so in order to change, both sides have to want to change. And um, it's very unlikely toxic families – almost never change and almost never get better. And almost the situation it's like, I, I think I'm the luckiest guy in the world that me and my mom can talk and we can spend time together and hang out. That's gigantic progress and a gigantic step forward that we wouldn't have had. Um, and it, you know, I wouldn't hold out hope. I guess what I'm saying is I wouldn't hold out hope that your girlfriend's situation with her family gets better. And again, it's her problem. And so there's a couple things left. If you really love her, um, the, I, I get that, but you also got to ask yourself, is this the, do you want to deal with your girlfriend's toxic family for the rest of your life? That's what marrying her means, is that they'll always be there. They'll always be around. They'll always be causing problems. Do you really want that forever? And then the other thing is, you know, if the relationship makes your life worse or makes your life more difficult, it's probably better to walk away. I mean, there's, it's really easy to get caught up. Like, this is my person. This is only one person. It's like, there's a lot of people out there in the world, and uh, you got to be willing to, to move on. I, you know, my, my, uh, my dad's, wife my stepmom is amazing she's really smart and uh, she tells me dating is a numbers game you just got to keep going on enough first dates and eventually you find someone who's a great fit for you uh, i made a video called uh sometimes uh i think it's called look up zach schaumler it says go, go to zach schaumler on youtube and it's like the number one video on there it's um failed relationships are good if dot 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 and the point is that there's better fits than others and you can find a better fit where you like the girl, and also her family isn't a mess, right? You can, there's other options. And so the discouraging thing is to go on a bunch of first dates over and over again where you're like, man, I have gone on 13 first dates. They all sucked. And it takes courage to go on the 14th date and the 15th date and to keep trying and keep going on more and more first dates with different people. But if you go, it's a numbers game. You go on enough first dates with different people, eventually you find someone, you go, you know what? This person's pretty cool, and I could see myself with this person. But you just have to take heart and be willing to go on more and more first dates. Now, this is the last point. Woo, I'm going. Um, the reality is, it's very important. It's really tough when, when breakups happen, especially when it's, you know, it's easy to blame, especially when the person you're breaking up with is really struggling and they're a mess. It's easy to go, that's their problem, not mine. It's easy to say it's their issue. The reality is that as men, especially, we often think we're doing everything we can I, I love her so much. The guy, I got this death grip on this girl. She's the best. I love her. And sometimes either that death grip or that your effort is, it's either the attitude makes it harder for your partner to have this. I love her so much and I'm here. And she's like, you're strangling me. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's easy to do that. And so I encourage you, uh, if you guys break up or not, I think there's a lot of growth you can do. Just look in the mirror. Um, and then if you break up, you know, there's always something you can do better in the next relationship, whether it's this one or that one. Cause I think you, if you want to stay with this girl, things got to get better and you got to do work to change, look in the mirror and make, make improvements to yourself. And maybe the way you're, it's possible that you're adding to her struggle. I know in the past I was with a girl who was really struggling and I actually made it worse and harder for her because I was, I had this, I was like, I love you so much. And she's like, you're struggling me. Like, you know, it, it just was too much. It was, I was, too much. And so it's possible that, well, I didn't think I was going to say that. Um, <laughs> it, you know, it's when you're with someone who's really struggling, it's easy to actually make their life harder. And so I encourage you like do some soul search and figure that out. And then if you guys break up, which sounds like it might be the right thing. Um, if you guys break up, figure out what you can do better next time. Just, just use it to learn from it. Learn from every relationship, learn from every moment you're in. The biggest failure in life is when people don't learn from the past whether it's sports or filmmaking or movies or dating, learn from the mistakes of yourself in the past and the mistakes of others. Don't make the same mistake twice and just learn all the time. The more you date, the better you get at it. It's like a, it's, it's just like shooting free throws, really. The more free throws you shoot, you're better shooting free throws the 89th time than the first time. And so the more you do it, the better you get. And you got to look at dating as, as a progression and, and as practice. And so if you guys break up, 
use it, learn from it. I feel for you, man. It's hard, especially when it's feels like they're struggling. I know they're still look in the mirror. There are still things you can do better. And I just went on like a gigantic long tangent about this thing, but I, it's meaningful to me, man. Breakups are hard. I'm going through one. It's brutal, but, um, I, I do, I really feel for you, Luke. Um, I, I think that, um, I don't know. I'm, I'm glad you asked that question. It got a lot, of, it got a lot of content out of me. Oh my gosh. The sports channel. I just talked about dating for 20 minutes, but, um, it's huge. I'm going to end the show this way. If you're struggling, please go get help. Uh, about four years ago now, uh, December, what was it? It was January. No, 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 wrong date. Uh, February 8th, 2016. February 8th, 2016 is a day I'll never forget. It's the day that my younger brother took his life. Uh, it's heartbreaking. There are two painful lessons I learned from that experience. Number one is that if you're struggling, you got to go get help. You can't suffer in silence. You can't suffer alone. Uh, my brother never shared his struggles. He was having a hard time, and he never reached out to the people in his life. He never, uh, you know, I went home to, one day and found my brother dead on the floor. That's miserable, and that's sad, and that's, that's brutal and terrible. And, um, you know, he, he never reached out for help. The suicide hotline is 1-800-273-8255, 1-800-273-8255. That is the suicide hotline. I encourage you, if you're struggling, go get help. And the other thing is this. My brother never reached out for help, but I never reached out to him to see if he was doing okay either. I, never did, didn't go, didn't, I didn't do a good enough job there either. I didn't make it clear enough to my younger brother that we could talk. And I, I was like, we had very surface level conversations about girls and movies and video games, but we never went the next step. And so I encourage you, tell the people in your life, make it clear to them how much you love them, how much you care about them, that you're there for them if they're having a hard time. And uh, man, you know, be there for the people in your life and don't be afraid to have difficult conversations about more than just sports or movies or video games. Guys, my name is Zach Schaumler. Thank you so very much for tuning in. I hope you have a great day and uh, bam, we are done.